You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. During the Kavanaugh hearings, I found myself scrolling through Instagram when I came across a post from one of my peers. It was simply captioned, F. Brett Kavanaugh. I expanded the comment section to see what my friends were saying, and what I found really shocked me. The second comment on the post read, I disagree. He's innocent until proven guilty, and there is insubstantial evidence. He's going to be confirmed. This was written by a boy in my grade at school who I had few connections with. He went on to say that he doesn't believe Dr. Ford's statement and that he believes Kavanaugh is a, quote, good man. The comments that followed all expressed disbelief with the fact that this boy would say something of this nature, and there was a plethora of ways in which my friends voiced their disagreement with him. He did not back down, to say the least. While I disagree with his opinions and beliefs, I do think that there is something admirable about the fact that he stood up for them. I oppose his support for a man who dismisses credible claims of sexual assault, but I also believe that this student has the right to voice his views. Through learning in church and school and reflecting on real-life experiences like this one, I have developed a strong set of values and ideas that firmly guide my actions. I have found that my values are affirmed and deepened when I'm challenged with viewpoints that differ from mine. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the ultimate measure of a person is not where they stand in moments of comfort and convenience, but where they stand at times of challenge and controversy. I can better understand the importance of my beliefs when I am open to hearing more than one perspective on an issue. My ideas, while changing and growing within me, are all cemented in the belief that every person has inherent worth and dignity. When I have deeply considered how I want to be in this world, I have found that the values I hold dearest trace back to this one belief. This non-negotiable is a building block that forms the person I am. Every time my peers have voiced an opposing stance on women's reproductive rights, disagree with me when I say all lives can't matter until black lives matter, or told me that they can't see how everyone has worth when people like Kavanaugh exist, I have simply told them my thoughts, listened to theirs, and if our beliefs truly are contradictory, said that I will agree to disagree with them. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that all the choices people make are just, so I might fight them with all my heart and soul, but at the end of the day, I will not claim that someone is an evil person because they hold different views from mine. This belief in the value of all people has been tested lately, as many choices being made in our government by people who have ideas that are drastically different from mine. However, every time it comes into question, what has brought me back to this belief is the fact that so much of the animosity in this world comes from seeing others as inferior to oneself. I believe that certain, if I believed that certain people were unworthy of respect due to their ideas, then I would be feeding into the pattern of hatred that is truly dividing our country and world. Life feels too short to be driven by hate. 
To be honest, I wasn't exactly Mother Teresa in the comments section on Instagram, <laughs> as I may have said that the voice of Warning Kavanaugh was wrong and just didn't get it. But that is fundamentally different than believing he is evil. By holding fast to the notion that all humans are inherently good, no matter their beliefs, I feel that I am opening my mind to the possibility of deeper human relationships and opening my heart to welcome a greater diversity of opinions. Come, let us worship together. So this morning we are going to do the complicated work of being human and holding all of it, holding the voices, the silence, whatever is being stirred up in us, hold all of it. And I want to start in a little bit of a lighter place, and this is really a question for everyone, but particularly the young ones who are with us this morning. I'm curious if you know the answer to this question. Do you know when your birthday is? Right? Probably you do, right? Like, we kind of track those things. We have a, a party and a cake. Maybe it's a gluten-free cake. Or maybe we have a bunch of people together with ice cream. Or maybe we have a pinata. Our 10-year-old our is about, he's 9, he's about to be 10. And for his birthday, he made a request to go to the water park of America and spend the whole day there and the night there. That's what our 10-year-old, almost 10-year-old, thinks is awesome for a birthday. I don't know how many adults, if they had a choice to celebrate their birthday, would be like, Water Park of America for me. Um, I think it might be something else. But we remember these dates, our, the day we came into this world. It's a, it's a significant moment when we left the womb and came into this world, took our first breath. We mark those moments. We celebrate our lives and the passing of our lives. And the interesting thing is that every single year, just as we pass and move through the anniversary of our birth, we also, as the poet W.S. Merwin says, we pass right through the anniversary of our death. Every year, we just move right through it. Every year, we move right through our death day. Maybe it's August 12th or November 20th or January 7th or April 21st. We just don't know it's our death day until we're gone. I bring this up, and I'm holding space in this service, because in general, we don't spend much time thinking about death or talking about death. This ultimate, this ultimate, huge, big, non-negotiable, this reality that our lives rest in. Here at this church, at First Universalist, we seek to gently hold this reality front and center every Sunday in our community prayer, in the cycle of lifetime, when we say the names of those who have passed away, as well as the names of those who are healing and recovering, who are celebrating, and we say the names of those babies that have just come into the world as well. Sometimes during that cycle of life, that community prayer time, I imagine my own name being spoken aloud in that prayer by some future minister of this church. We celebrate the life and mourn the death of Justin Schroeder. And it gives me a jolt in that prayerful space. It gives me a shock. It reminds me of the non-negotiable reality of my life. And it reawakens me to this moment, to the sun that is streaming in, 
to the people in this congregation I just so dearly, dearly love, to my family, to the gifts of my life. It calls me, it pulls me back to this moment in my life when I imagine my own name being called out in this space. It reminds me that within that very big non-negotiable of death, we decide how we will live. In community, we decide how we will live, what values will anchor us, what smaller non-negotiables we will hold at the very center of our lives. I want to pause for a moment and acknowledge that death is a big topic. Children and adults, we can have all kinds of strong feelings about death, about loss. Perhaps we gathered at Thanksgiving and a dear family member or friend was not at the table with us or it brought back memories of someone we love. It can stir up all kinds of feelings. That is normal. We hold one another in this space, in this community, as we process that. And I want us to hold to hold those feelings, the bigness, the magnitude of the reality of our own dying. And I also want to acknowledge and recognize on this Sunday, as little ones are with us and all the generations are with us, that maybe this talk of death dates and death anniversaries feels a little heavy, a little gloomy. And so I want to move just slightly, not letting go of that, but move just slightly for a moment to something bright and warm and alive. I want to move to this chalice, this flaming chalice that we light every single Sunday when we gather. And I wonder, what do you know about this chalice? Well, a chalice, that's the bowl part of this. It's a, it's a vessel to hold often a liquid, to hold something. So that's the chalice. Pea. And then there's this flame inside the chalice. It's, it's lit every time we're together. And in the last century, this flaming chalice has become the symbol of Unitarian Universalism. And like all good religious symbols, there are layers and layers of meaning here as this flame burns. So I want us to do a little time travel this morning, to go back 600 years ago to meet a priest, a religious leader, a man named Jan Hus or John Hus. He lived in Bohemia, which is now the Czech Republic, and Jan Hus was one of the first Protestants, one of the first reformers. He took a stand against the abuses of the Roman Catholic Church. Jan Hus was a Christian, not a Unitarian, but in many ways he's our spiritual ancestor. He is someone who shapes and informs our religious tradition because he argued that the Bible should be read in the service, not in Latin, as was the practice, but in the language of the people. Let the people understand the stories of the Bible. He also argued that everyday people should be able to read the Bible in their own language and interpret it for themselves, not have a priest or a minister say, this is what it means, I'm going to tell you how you now live your life. During his time, the most important part of a Christian worship service was communion, when the priest would act out the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples. In the Catholic Church at this time, the priest would place the bread in people's mouths. They weren't worthy to touch the bread themselves. And when it came time to drink the wine in memory of Jesus, only the priests would drink, and they would do it with their backs turned to the congregation. So they would turn away and then drink from the chalice. Jan Hus thought this was 
ridiculous. And he argued that all Christian faithful should be able to remember Jesus by eating the bread themselves and by drinking the wine from the chalice cup, holding the cup themselves. Jan Hus stood up for ordinary people. And his non-negotiable was freedom of religion against the power of the Catholic Church. He became quite popular, and a whole group of people started to follow his teachings. And as you can imagine, the Catholic Church didn't like Jan Hus at all. They said he was a heretic. He was a danger to the faithful. He was a danger to the religious tradition, someone who should be silenced and shut down. And they, in fact, did kill him on July 6, 1415. But in Bohemia, in Czechoslovakia, to this day, Jan Hus is a hero. And there are statues of him in city squares and around the countryside. He is known in the chalice. This chalice lives on this symbol of his courage and bravery, the people's chalice. He believed it should be for everyone. So that is some of the history of this chalice, but it's not the history of the flame in the chalice. For that history, we have to jump forward 500 years to 1941, when an Austrian artist, Hans Deutsch, who had been drawing very critical cartoons of Adolf Hitler, he was in France at the time, in Paris, he left France into Spain and then left Spain into Portugal. And so in Portugal, Hans Deutsch met a Unitarian, Reverend Charles Joy, who had just started, was the executive director of the Unitarian Service Committee. The service committee was created in 1941 to assist Eastern Europeans, uh, Jews and Unitarians and others who were seeking to escape from the Nazis. The Nazis were killing thousands of people at this point in time. So from Portugal, Reverend Charles Joy oversaw this network of couriers and agents as he helped these people escape from Eastern Europe. Hans Deutsch, not a religious person, was very impressed by Reverend Charles Joy. He said, your readiness to serve and, and to sacrifice all your time and your health, your well-being, to, to sacrifice those to help, help, help. I am moved by that. This is the kind of religion, said Hans Deutsch, that even a godless fellow like myself can wholeheartedly say yes to. And what Hans Deutsch was seeing, I think, is that as the horrors of the Nazis became clearer and that rise to power was happening, Reverend Charles Joy had this one non-negotiable. He was going to live a life of service. The trouble, as Hans Deutsch discovered, was that this new Unitarian Service Committee was not well known. And this, according to Reverend Dan Hotchkiss, was a real barrier, a real handicap in this cloak and dagger world where establishing trust quickly across barriers of language and nationality and faith could mean life instead of death. This was a time of disguises and signs and countersigns and midnight runs across guarded borders if you were to achieve your freedom. So Reverend Charles Joy asked Hans Deutsch to create a symbol for the Unitarian Service Committee for their paperwork, to make them look official, to give dignity and importance to them and their work, and at the same time to symbolize the spirit of the work. And so with pencil and ink, Hans Deutsch drew a chalice with a flame. I wish this was bigger, but it says Unitarian Service Committee, there's the chalice, and there's the flame. 
Now, Hans Deutsch had never been in a Unitarian or a Universalist church. He'd never heard a Unitarian or a Universalist sermon. What he had seen, and the reason he drew this chalice with the flame, because he had seen faith in action. He saw Reverend Charles Joy acting on his values. He saw him taking risks for people who were in great danger in a time of urgency. For Hans Deutsch, the flaming chalice stood for a life of service and sacrifice and love. The flame stood for truth, the spirit, if you will, dancing and alive in the world. It was the fire of commitment, the spark of kindness, a flame of courage and witness and illumination. And so this flaming chalice design was made into a seal for the papers and a badge for these agents who were moving refugees to freedom. And it has since become a symbol of Unitarian Universalism all around the world. So that is a piece of the history, the meaning behind this chalice we light every Sunday. And when you come to worship during the year, it is our children who light the chalice every time we are together. This chalice burns brightly as we dedicate babies to a life of love and service on this chancel. This light watches over us and dances as our coming-of-age youth speak from this chancel and we recognize our high school seniors when they graduate. This chalice is lit at memorial services, reminding us of our own mortality and that there is a light alive in the world that cannot be extinguished. Every time we light this chalice, we can call to mind our ancestors, those deceased, those we love, who acted on their faith and whose values live on in us. When we light this chalice, we can call to mind the non-negotiables that anchor our lives, whether they are a belief in the inherent worth and dignity of every person, a love of religious freedom, a desire to live a life of service and justice, or simply gratitude for being alive. So friends, given that death is a shared non-negotiable, when we light this chalice, we might ask ourselves, what am I really going to live for? What am I really going to live for? How am I going to spend my life and give away my love? How will I spend my days and bless this world as best I can? How am I going to let my light shine? How are all of us going to let our light shine in this miracle of a life that is ours? Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.